0: seems contemporary thought often goes this way to be happy you must be free the more free you are the more happy you are and here's the big question what is freedom it is the right to do whatever we want and no one telling us that we can't freedom and therefore happiness is every morning you get to wake up and decide who you're going to be and what you're going to do And nobody, nobody tells you. But there's a problem with that line of thinking. It was illustrated in a TED Talk a few years ago. The speaker put up a picture of two fish in a fishbowl, and then he said, the truth of the matter is that if you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, I can be whatever I want and do whatever I want, you don't have freedom. You have dead fish. Everybody needs a fishbowl. The absence of some metaphorical fishbowl is a recipe for misery and ultimately disaster. In our study of Exodus, we have arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai. And here we see that Israel's freedom from slavery in Egypt didn't mean that they could now be whatever they wanted to be and do whatever they wanted to do. God makes that clear with the giving of the Ten Commandments. At Mount Sinai, the Israelites would learn that they had also been freed for, not not just freed from something, namely slavery in Egypt, but for something. They had been freed to live faithfully as the Lord's treasured people. What does this freedom look like? It looks like the Ten Commandments. In this episode of God's Word, Our Great Heritage, we'll see, first of all, The Lord has done the same for us. He has not only set us free from sin and death, but has also set us free for living as his treasured possession. He has set us free for serving him and our neighbor. The commands given to Moses 3,500 years ago speak to our lives today and provide us an unfailing compass through life. And second, as we look at these Ten Commandments, We'll be led to rejoice in the love of a Savior who kept these commandments in our place because we failed to do so. And then he paid the penalty for our disobedience at his cross. Let's begin with prayer. Your law, O God, is good and wise and sets your will before our eyes, shows us the way of righteousness and dooms to death when we transgress. The law is good But since the fall, its holiness condemns us all. It dooms us for our sins to die and has no power to justify. To you, Lord, we for refuge flee, who from the curse can set us free and humbly worship at your throne, saved by your grace through faith alone. Amen. We begin at verse 10 of chapter 19. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death, They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. Verse 14, after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people. So they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain, and set it apart is holy. The Lord replied, Go down. And bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, How exactly is it that we are to serve God and our neighbor? Well, the Ten Commandments make that clear. Do you remember the first time you heard the Ten Commandments from your parents or in a Sunday school lesson? I'm guessing the occasion was not all that memorable. How different it was for the Israelites when they first heard these Ten Commandments. They, they spent two days getting ready for the event. When was the last time you took all of Friday and all of Saturday getting ready to hear God's Word on a Sunday morning? Took the day off work, canceled sports activities, social gatherings, the trips to the store, all so you could be ready, well-rested and focused, ready to listen to the voice of your God as he spoke to you through his word. They were to wash, a reminder that we are unclean with sin and need to be washed before we dare to come into the presence of a holy, sinless God. There was fire, smoke, lightning, thunder, earthquake, trumpet blast from a ram's horn, horn, growing louder and louder. Imagine what it was like to be at the foot of that mountain, And anyone who dared to touch the mountain, who thought that this was something to toy with, was put to death, shot with arrows. Oh, the people responded as you or I would have responded with fear and trembling. God would have us know that he is not a God to be ignored or trifled with. No, Moses did not come down from the mountain and say, hey, what do you guys want to do? Here are ten suggestions. Martin Luther captured this so well when he began his explanations of each of the commandments with these words, We are to fear and love God. We are to fear God. That is, we are to take him seriously. We are to stand in awe of his words because of who he is. This is not some game. Chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. We call them the Ten Commandments, but literally it is words. God spoke all these words, and they are not numbered in the text. That is something that we have added to help us learn them. Verse 2, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We said it in the last episode, but it bears repeating. God did not say, Well, keep these commandments and then I will rescue you if you do a good job here. No, he had already rescued them. He says, I'm the Lord, the Savior God, your God, who rescued you out of Egypt. Now he is showing them how by obeying these commandments, they are to respond to his grace. And once again, Luther has caught this so well with his explanations. We are to fear and love God. These things that God tells us in these commandments are to be done out of love for God who first loved us. They are the words of a loving God and every one of them is meant to bless us, not be a burden to us. They're not meant to make our life miserable any more than a parent's rule not to put your hand on the hot stove or play in the street is meant to make their child's life difficult. No, to ignore what God says about Honoring our parents or what he says about marriage and human sexuality or any of these commands is like breaking the fishbowl, to use our opening illustration. This is what the hymn writer had in mind in the verses we used in our opening prayer. The law of God is good and wise. God is saying, do these things because I love you. And by doing them, you show that you love me. So with that under our belts, let's hear the 10 words. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Verses 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Some make verses 4 to 6 the second commandment, but I prefer to follow Augustine's numbering and take those verses as a further explanation of the first commandment. But finally... Your commandments are not numbered in the Hebrew text, so we're free to disagree on the numbering. You shall have no other gods. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We have a similar agreement in marriage, don't we? I will give myself to you, my dear spouse, but there's one thing that I demand, and that is that you give yourself exclusively to me. No problem, right? One God. I can do that. Until I remember that a God is that on which I rely above anything else for security and for happiness. Let me ask you, how would you react if you learned that tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. you would lose all your money, lose your house, lose your car, lose everything? How often don't we allow these other things or other people to slip in the first place in our life ahead of God? Jesus summarized the first commandment this way. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then he added this amazing promise. And all these things will be added to you. Verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God has given us his name so that there can be a response of love and worship. Yes, that's my God and Savior. Unfortunately, hell would truly be crowded if God damned all the things He's asked to damn. How we use or fail to use His name in witnessing and prayer reveals our attitude towards God's name. Verse 8 Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Sabbath means rest. Without rest, we become angry, cynical, sarcastic. But God's commandment expects much more than physical rest. He wants us to set aside a specific time to gather with our brothers and sisters around his word. And there he has promised to be with us and give us rest for our souls. We break this commandment when we treat that commitment lightly or as if it is some kind of a, of a burden. Our impatience to get the service over quickly so we can get back to our weekend project is a symptom of our lack of love for Jesus. After all, as Reed Lessing writes in his Exodus commentary, what would we say of someone who goes to meet the love of his or her life only out of a sense of duty, or occasionally, or just to keep the children in line? or hoping the time together will be as short as possible. The first commandment requires our heartfelt trust in the Lord for every good thing. The second commandment requires that this trust in God for every good thing be on our lips, that it be spoken about so that others may hear it and believe. The third commandment tells us to place the word of God into our ears to take the time out of our busy schedules to assemble with God's people and hear and discuss his word. Not for God's benefit, as if he needs this, but for ours. Luther summarized these first three commandments this way. We must constantly keep God's word in our hearts, on our lips, and in our ears. The first three commandments have dealt with our relationship with God. The rest Deal with our relationship with one another. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Children, recognize that your mom and dad are God's representatives. When you disobey them, talk back to them, you are certainly disobeying and talking back to God. Everyone, recognize that this commandment also applies to our leaders in government, And in the church, you shall not murder. Certainly we've all kept at least this commandment, right? Well, it was the Apostle John who pointed out, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. We must not hurt or harm with our hands, with our words, or even think it in our hearts. When we understand the commandment rightly, can any of us say we have not broken it? You shall not commit adultery. Earlier, God had given this command, have sex. Well, maybe God wasn't that abrupt, but he did say be fruitful and multiply. And the only way you're going to be fruitful and multiply is to have sex. That's why he made two types of bodies and why he made it so that they are attracted to one another. However, and what an important however it is, God established only one relationship in which sex is to happen, and that is marriage. And here again, the Bible makes clear that this commandment applies not just to our actions, but to our words and to our thoughts. You shall not steal. God wants us to realize that everything we possess is really his. And that means we are to help our neighbor hold on to the gifts God has given him. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. In a courtroom, we are asked to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But any time we talk about someone who isn't there, we're not telling the whole truth. We're not allowing part of the story to be told, namely that part of the story known only to the person we are gossiping about. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. These last two commandments point to our inner desires, coveting. Those inner desires are the source of all evil. Some Christians combine this commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house with the one that follows. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And you can certainly make a good case for combining these two, but... Again, I prefer to follow the numbering set out by the church father, Augustine. Augustine pointed out that coveting someone's house, perhaps we could think of it as their station in life, was a different kind of coveting than coveting their wife. But finally, as we said earlier, we can number the commandments any way we would like. It's not decided on the basis of scripture. Verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God, this this deep respect for him and his word, will be with you to keep you from sinning the people remained at a distance while moses approached the thick darkness where god was the people exclaimed we will die if we keep hearing the voice of god how exactly do the ten commandments kill us well paul puts it succinctly when he writes to the roman christians no one will be declared righteous in god's sight by the works of the law, by keeping these commandments. Rather, through the law we become conscious, aware of our sin. Any serious study of the Ten Commandments will reveal our failures, and our failures condemn us to death. With that truth in mind, isn't it great to read these words of the writer to the Hebrews? You, dear Christian, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. No, we can't keep God's commandments, but Jesus did. And because of that, God's holy voice does not frighten us. It invites us to come closer to him, to be washed clean in the blood of Jesus. He has made us his treasured possession. Moses agreed to serve as the people's representative, their mediator, and go up on the mountain where God was. The rest of the laws will be spoken to Moses privately on Mount Sinai. That's next time. Until then, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.